The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Learn about a company that is working to improve independent indoor navigation for people who are blind. Welcome to ACB Reports for January 2022. Let's start the new year with some announcements. Here's Kathleen Duke. Reach higher, pursue, and succeed. Apply to become a 2022 recipient of the Derwood K. McDaniel First Timers Award. Experience an array of opportunities to learn and grow personally and become better acquainted with ACB's wealth of inclusive activities as you connect with other like-minded individuals during the 61st Annual ACB Convention. To be eligible for consideration for the Derwood K. McDaniel First Timers Award, each applicant must be age 18 or older, blind or visually impaired, an ACB member in good standing, and never have attended an in-person ACB National Conference and Convention. Two letters must be submitted for each applicant a letter of application from the interested member, and a letter of recommendation from a state or special interest affiliate president. The member's letter of application should include your full name, physical address, email address, plus home and cell phone numbers. This letter must also introduce yourself to the committee and include your reasons for applying for the award, a brief summary of education and experience related to your community service, contributions to your affiliate and or chapter, and the significance of the DKM First Timers Award to your personal or career development. The letter of recommendation from your state or special interest affiliate president should include the applicant's demonstrated leadership potential and contributions. Applicants will also be expected to participate in an interview with a team of DKM committee members during mid-April. The DKM program and ACB honors recipients by funding round-trip air travel and supporting transportation, hotel accommodations, double occupancy, a per diem allowance for meals and incidentals, leadership institute, reception, banquet tickets, the general convention registration fee, and other activities as determined by the committee and ACB board of directors. The responsibilities of each recipient include, but are not limited to, attending the full week of convention activities from Friday, July 1st through Friday, July 8th, participating in daily general sessions and the keys to the convention seminar, along with special interest and committee seminars while interacting with ACB leaders and fellow members. The application and supporting letter of recommendation should be submitted separately to Kelly Gask. Her email is kgasque at acb.org and must be received no later than April 5th. The 2022 first-timers will be selected following the interviews. The American Council of the Blind scholarship application window is now open through February 14, 2022. Established in 1982, 
The ACB Scholarship Program has now partnered with the American Foundation for the Blind, AFB, to offer educational scholarships ranging from $2,000 to $7,500 for blind and visually impaired students attending a technical college or as an entering freshman, undergraduate, or graduate student. This program awards students with scholarships to help with post-secondary education financial needs such as tuition, fees, room and board, and additional costs associated with adaptive technology. To be eligible for a scholarship, applicants must be legally blind, maintain a 3.0 grade point average for most scholarships, be either a full-time student or a student who works at least 32 hours a week while attending college part-time, and be involved in their school and local community. To find out more, visit acb.org scholarships. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. Mike May has been a pioneer in accessible outdoor navigation technology for many years. He is now turning his attention to accessible indoor navigation technology that can be used in places such as airports, conference centers, and other venues. In this new role, he is the chief evangelist for Good Maps. Evelyn Titchener is the chief of staff for Good Maps. During last year's conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind, they discussed the Good Maps approach to accessible indoor navigation. It's a pleasure and uh, nice to be on here at ACB and uh, always appreciate your input uh, over the years about transportation accessibility because it's all together. I guess my leading comment would be the better we get around, the better we participate in life, recreation, career, and so forth. So that's really been my mission uh, since I've been involved in accessible navigation for the last 25 years, starting at Arkenstone and then through my company, Sendero Group, and then with a few turns along the way, ended up uh, working for Good Maps in Louisville, Kentucky, where uh, Evelyn had preceded me there. Evelyn? I'm Evelyn Titchener, and like Ray mentioned, I'm in Nashville. I've been working with Mike for the past two years now um, to work on our indoor navigation technology and to expand that out into the community and to do um, a lot of events like these to advocate for accessible technology and just to expand uh, the awareness about Good Maps and, and our mission and where we're going. Yeah, and we will show a video that encapsulates what we do. I really lament the days when I got to do these presentations in person and they always uh, followed the, the in-house presentation in a room with demos and exhibits walking around, sometimes riding in a van, sometimes uh, in pedestrian mode. We got to walk around and I showed you the technology. So I, I look forward to next year when we can get back to that again, uh, particularly if you can see the new indoor navigation working. That's something that's pretty rare and, and unique. And as you know, when we go to conferences, we're always looking for what's new this year. And uh, I tell you, if you could see it in person, you'd say, well, this is what's new, uh, this navigation technique. Certainly going back Quite a few years, I'm sure a lot of you remember uh, the low vis guide at the ACB conferences and using beacons and really been working on indoor navigation in, in different formats for a number of years. And that was one of the first iterations and a really good start. You got to start somewhere. 
things aren't perfect. They aren't 100% accurate. You know, we're always evolving these things. But um, they do get better over time, and we have some new techniques that step beyond beacons uh, that work with indoor navigation. I first want to say that Good Maps came out with its first app, iPhone and Android, in September of last year. And the real focus of that app was let's cover the basics for outdoor navigation and then let's also develop indoor navigation. So we've been working on both fronts. And the outdoor navigation, you can check out for yourself. Go to Good Maps. It's one word, explore. In either of the stores, you can download that, try it, see what you think, and it covers a lot of the basics. Bearing in mind that this hasn't even been out a year, and it's not going to have all the bells and whistles of nearby Explorer and CNI GPS and BlindSquare uh, apps that have been around for quite a few years. They keep adding features as users request them. So we've covered the basics for outdoor navigation Realizing that these days, particularly if we're providing a free app, you can use multiple apps at once. You can run Blind Square and Good Maps Explorer together, or CNI GPS and Explorer. You can run them along with Apple Maps or Google. The combination is, is often gives you the best of both worlds. Um, Ray mentioned my title as Chief Evangelist, and despite the fact that I've been evangelizing accessible navigation for all these years, uh, I think it's still an important role because it doesn't matter which app you use, really the fact is using uh, accessible tools and techniques is really a key factor, as I said, to life acuity, I guess I would call it. So we have to keep promoting the fact that uh, you don't get to know these tools unless you use them regularly because, as you know, uh, we have so many things to work with. If you don't use them all the time, then you, you kind of forget the details and they don't re become a tool if they're kind of in the back pocket. So I have to say my evangelistic comments to begin with is just encourage everybody to get out there and use something. And with all of the outdoor apps, each one has some little thing that's different or better than the other thing and some have their weaknesses. And as we know with accessible technology, Everything has its strengths and weaknesses, and part of using the strengths of an app is to know the weaknesses. Since I'm assuming most people are pretty familiar with outdoor navigation, we won't spend too much time on that, but I want to tell you some of the differences about navigating indoors, because there's similarities and there are differences. Evelyn, um, I'm going to make some comments here and then just chime in to fill in the blanks, um, as I know there will be some. So in terms of indoor navigation, let me talk about the unique experience of, of navigating indoors versus outdoors. We've said there are different techniques. There's beacons, and we're going to talk about our new technique. But first, I'll just tell you some of the fundamental differences. For one thing, indoors, you don't have streets. You don't really have grids. Sometimes you do indoors. You'll have hallways that are pretty much perpendicular, but you don't, they're not named. So that changes the whole dynamic of how you navigate. We don't have street names, so that means your, your directions will be given in terms of relative to your position. So walk straight ahead, turn right, uh, but it doesn't necessarily turn right on, you know, it's not hallway 7 or hallway 8. It just says turn right, and because the accuracy is quite good, 
you're presumably in the right hallway, but they aren't named, which is quite different. The points of interest, however, are pretty much the same as outdoors, where you have businesses and other things outdoors. Indoors, you're going to have offices, reception desk, elevator, escalators. So in most ways, the points of interest indoor are handled in very much the same as outdoors. Of course, the accuracy indoors is quite different because uh, outdoors GPS quotes 30-foot accuracy. Indoors, this was one of the issues with beacons, is the accuracy could really vary from 5 feet to 50 feet. Uh, depended a lot on those spurious Bluetooth signals that could be blocked by people and uh, change the accuracy. So, accuracy. so if, if you're trying to tell somebody to go in a doorway or uh, turn on in a hallway, it's pretty hard if your accuracy is that variable. So that's really key indoors. You can't have 30-foot accuracy. You really need to have, let's say, 5-foot accuracy to be really viable. With that said, I'd say you know, some navigation is better than none, but uh, it is good to at least try to get in that 5-foot accuracy range. There's also uh, multiple purposes of indoor navigation. And this is a really nice thing because this is why GPS became viable. It isn't something we could have had as blind people if sighted people didn't also need it. All consumers benefited from it and therefore it took off commercially. There were lots of companies making maps and uh, making receivers and so it became quite viable. This is the case indoors. It's really important that it's not just for accessibility. Otherwise, it won't be cheap enough and it won't be widespread in different buildings. So the multiple purposes include what we refer to as asset tracking. So if you're in a hospital and they have 50 different uh, medical carts, they can get lost. They can end up in a closet where they can't find it. If you can have a map, and then you put a, a tracker, like the things we have, tiles and other kinds of trackers, air tags. You put those on your equipment. Now you can track them because you have an accurate map around the whole hospital. Uh, we also have first responder and emergency kinds of issues. When there's trouble in a building or a fire or something, uh, it's important that the rooms are mapped. And um, certainly with, with first responders, when they go in, they're going into a building they've never seen before, uh, it's important that they have an accurate map. So in promoting indoor navigation, we have all these multiple purposes, which means that it's much more attractive for the venues to install. And that is the model that we're really focusing on at Good Maps, that the venues pay for the mapping. Therefore, the app, actual app is free to everybody, to blind people, to anybody that uses it. The Explore app is free, and the venue owner then pays for it. Of course, the important thing from an economic standpoint is that the mapping is cheap enough and it has enough value that venue owners can justify it. They will be driven somewhat by accessibility demands, but as we all know, there's ADA requirements, but there isn't necessarily funding to back up those ADA requirements Therefore, somebody doesn't necessarily have to have a fully accessible grocery store or airport. You know, they have workarounds, like they'll have somebody guide you and 
Um, that's not my version of independent travel, but it's, you know, you have to work with what you have to begin with. In terms of multiple uses, I'll just mention some of the places that are, we've really seen a lot of traction in, uh, with universities. Students go to a campus for the first time, they change classes every quarter, uh, they have to get a new route. And so if you have the indoor buildings or at least some of the key buildings mapped and you have outdoor, uh, the campus navigation is something that's um, really valuable. Airports, of course, are important. I mean, there's ways to navigate airport. We've always done these things with or without technology. It just gets easier and more independent as uh, more tools come about. So in an airport, there's a nice combination of tools, which is using an indoor navigation capability. But you can also use something like Be My Eyes or Ira. And with all of these tools, they have their weaknesses. So what's the weakness of a navigation app? Well, it gets you near the destination, but it doesn't always guide you right in the door or right, you know, outside we know it'll get you to the building, but where's the door? Well, you can call up Ira or Be My Eyes and get some eyeballs to, through your camera, direct you to the doorway. And so this is a nice combination indoors. For example, in an airport, you could navigate to the gate and then maybe once you get to the gate, you call up, we like to call a human in the loop, a visual service, and you can point your camera around and find out what businesses are nearby, restaurants, coffee, or where the gate is or where the exact counter is at the gate. Closing that final few feet is really critical, and that's uh, where the combination of these tools comes in handy. Evelyn, I'll just break here and let you fill in anything that you've... Uh, yeah, I mean, I would just say um, to expand on Mike talking about the, the technology itself, we're working with a, a variety of different types of buildings. So our goal is to expand. I mean, you know, anywhere could really use this technology if it's a public space. So we're working with transit agencies, government buildings, universities and colleges, we're working to get some shopping malls, some grocery store locations. So as you can imagine, there's so many different types of buildings that this could be utilized in and indoor navigation is so critical for everyone. That's a big part of our rollout right now. And with the technology being fairly new within the past year um, and, you know, COVID uh, hitting us and having to be indoors to use the technology, uh, we're really in the process of expanding and, and advocating for the technology within different communities across the country. I would also say we've expanded recently to CNIB. We're working with CNIB in Canada. So we've recently expanded to Canada and the UK and hoping to come into other countries in the upcoming months as part of our overall initiative. Yeah, there aren't a lot of buildings mapped yet. There's a lot in Louisville, but the other places are coming online. And we hope to expand to some other English-speaking countries. And if anybody has any contacts in their local community or building that you'd like to see mapped, uh, we'd love to hear from you because it's pretty easy to get them a quote and talk to them about the, the benefits of doing this for accessibility and other reasons. I should mention the technology itself. So what's different about this versus the previous beacons is we really wanted to have something that has no infrastructure development. So that's the beauty of GPS outdoors. 
Nobody has to install anything. It's just based on your phone. You carry it around. It has a GPS receiver, picks up the satellites. You can use it anywhere. Well, indoors, it's a little bit different because there aren't maps yet. So we, we have to map things. When the way we go about mapping them is we come into the building. Our mapper has a, a big backpack on with LIDAR, which is what you've heard about Google using for years, mapping streets. And those were mounted on big vans. This is in a backpack now, a smaller version, much more powerful than what you have in the phones, but it is a reasonable size, so a guy can walk around with it in a pack. There's also a camera turret that's spinning around and taking imagery of the, of the building. So once we walk through a building and our time to scan it is roughly the time that it would take to walk up and down every hallway and go into every room that's going to be on the map, and that data is all captured, and then convert it into an image format that is able to be referenced, geo-referenced by your phone. So when your camera picks up whatever it sees around you, it finds the equivalent of that in this cloud image and knows where you are. So it's pretty impressive when you can walk along with your camera out, so it has to be viewing the environment in a pocket, in a lanyard, or in a pouch, and it picks up the environment and compares it against the cloud and then gives you the turn-by-turn information. Not just uh, your destination is at 11 o'clock, 300 feet. It's going to tell you where to turn, including the integration of elevators or escalators or stairs that you uh, have to deal with if, it, if it's on another floor. So that's the, the brief summary of how the technology works. And that has this huge advantage of not having to install hardware, therefore there's less to maintain, and there's a lower cost to the venue owner. And another thing I should mention is with, since the venue owners are paying for these maps, if any other program like Blind Square or CNI or uh, any of the others want to use the data, we will provide that to them at no charge. So we realize people Want, their, want to use their favorite app, and so we want to facilitate that by making the map data that we accumulate free. And since there's a huge project in, in trying to get things mapped, that's really important. We also want to leverage maps created by other vendors, um, and so we're working with a number of different organizations to try to take advantage of, for example, there's 150 airports that are mapped, and we want to be able to leverage the data that's already been accumulated without having to go in and go to the expense of doing that ourselves. I think that covers things. We'll just give you the check us out information, which is goodmaps.com. Goodmaps, G-O-O-D-M-A-P-S.com for all the relevant um, videos and links and uh, audio tutorials and podcasts that have been on the, on the app. That was Mike May and Evelyn Titchener from Good Maps. Learn more on the web at goodmaps.org. We'll wrap up this edition of ACB Reports with some more announcements. Here again is Kathleen Duke. Are you an ACB member who has been active in the organization on the local and or state level and have a desire to learn more and explore opportunities associated with the national level? Are you an ACB member who has served previously 
attended a previous ACB convention and wishes to re-energize, learn more, expand your horizons with greater involvement in the organization while strengthening ACB with your skills and abilities? Answering yes to either of these questions makes you a possible candidate for the 2022 class of ACB J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows. For the seventh consecutive year, J.P. Morgan Chase will make it possible for five ACB members to attend and participate in the 61st Annual ACB Convention, provided that they have demonstrated leadership potential by sharing their abilities within the organization. This year's recipients will enjoy gathering with several classes of leadership fellows and other leaders from around the country as we meet in Omaha, Nebraska from July 1st through 8th. As a leadership fellow, you will be introduced to Tools for Success through participation in informative workshops, seminars, and leadership development sessions that are sure to prepare you to serve well in future leadership roles within ACB, your local chapter, and your state or special interest affiliate. Qualified applicants must meet specific criteria included but not limited to the following be 18 years of age or older, blind or visually impaired, and be an ACB member in good standing. Eligible applicants must also be endorsed by the president of their state or special interest affiliate. The application process for this award consists of the submission of two letters and participating in an interview with a team of DKM committee members. The letter of application should include your full name, physical address, and email address, along with home and cell phone numbers. Then introduce yourself by including your objectives in applying for the Leadership Award, a brief summary of your education and relevant experience, number of years of membership in ACB, previous conventions attended, if any, description of one's role as a leader, and examples of what you bring to ACB. The Affiliate President's Letter of Recommendation should address the applicant's contributions to the affiliate, ACB, and community organizations and describe the applicant's demonstrated leadership skills and leadership potential. Interviews will be scheduled for mid-April. Recipients will receive funding for round-trip air travel and supporting transportation, hotel accommodations, double occupancy, a per diem allowance for meals and incidentals, Leadership Institute, reception and banquet tickets, the general convention registration fee, and other activities determined by the committee and ACB executive director. Recipients are expected to attend the convention from Friday, July 1st through Friday, July 8th and to participate actively in all designated convention activities, including the daily general sessions, special interest presentations, seminars, and workshops. Send application documents to Kelly Gask, K-G-A-S-Q-U-E, at acb.org by April 5th. You've been listening to ACB Reports from the American Council of the Blind. ACB Reports is heard each month on audio information services across the United States and around the world on the ACB Media Network at acbmedia.org. The program is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another edition of ACB Reports.